Hi there, I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm Jen. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me today, two special guests. First, making her first appearance on our podcast, Dr. Lisa Vinny. Hi, Lisa. Hello. How are you? Good. And joining us again, uh, Dr. Jennifer Freeberg, who is the endowed cross-chair in the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning here at Illinois State. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Now, you're both here together today because we're doing an episode on a topic that kind of bubbled to the surface here at CTLT a long time ago about co-teaching. And you're both also in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders. Uh, Lisa, you're an associate professor now, I think? Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, we wanted to talk today about this concept of co-teaching. So, I'll, you know, whoever wants to go first, what... Uh, what has your experience been like? Well, our experience with each other has been really nice. It's kind of, it, it started out um, more scholarly and then morphed into mm-hmm. more of a co-teaching relationship. So we can tell you more about that. Absolutely. Yeah. It built from, you know, being colleagues who worked on a project together to saying, you know, the, the outcomes of this project would be really interesting and exciting to share with our students. And, and so um, we started offering an independent study each semester for our undergraduates um, on a topic that they really didn't have a lot of exposure to mm-hmm. in their required coursework for our major. And it became something we ended up studying and writing papers about in terms of, um, you know, research on teaching and learning, which is my my thing here on campus. Right. Um, and it just sort of evolved from there. I think, what have we offered it? Maybe eight times now? Yeah, probably. I'm trying to think of what year we started. Maybe 2014 or 2015? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds about right. So to be clear, I guess when we're talking today in the context of this conversation about co-teaching, it's different than I come in and teach a module for the students so-and-so comes in and teaches a module for the students, or, or is it? I'm presuming this is more of kind of a tag team event for the whole semester, is that? Well, I mean, let me give you a comparison. Sure. There's online teaching, right? Right. And that's done in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Some people do hybrid teaching where they sometimes see their students and sometimes they don't, and some people use a lot of discussion, and some people use screencasts, and they, you know, mm-hmm. so there's lots of different methods or different ways you can go about teaching online. Co-teaching mm-hmm. is similar in that um, if you ask two people who have co-taught before, they've probably not done it the same way as another pair or trio of people mm-hmm. who have co-taught a class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ideally, it's not what you suggested. It's not that uh, Lisa would have half the class mm-hmm. and I'd have half the class and we'd never talk about the content or, or work together mm-hmm. to communicate how that would be structured for the students. Ideally, it's a, a true team approach from the first week to the last week of the semester mm-hmm. where um, you know we're engaged. We don't have to always be with the students at the same time, but we know what's happening. We've had a hand in helping plan it and, and definitely um, you know, have a, a shared vision for the, the whole experience for the students. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, we were talking before uh, we started recording today, and there is there is research on this because I had asked if co-teaching was actually like a real word or not. Yep, it, it is, and it's definitely been explored more at the K-12 through um, level than it has been at the university level. I think there's more interest in the, the last few years, but um, it's still kind of – there's there's not a ton of literature on right, it. Right, right. 
What's interesting about the literature, though, when you read it, is that um, it, it focuses more on relationships mm-hmm. and uh, teacher and student satisfaction with the co-teaching process, not necessarily with, is it a good strategy for students to learn? So that's something that we've been interested in mm-hmm. in the work that we've done. You know, Is co-teaching something that does help our students? Mm-hmm. And so that's, again, where my office gets involved. Now we've kind of defined what it is. Let's talk about how it works and what your experiences are. So how did you, you mentioned a little bit about there was a desire to accomplish certain things and co-teaching seemed to be a good way to do it. What specifically did you want students to get out of the experience of having more than one instructor? So the topic of our independent study uh, has to do with the interdisciplinary management of laryngeal cancer. And about five years ago, my mom was diagnosed with laryngeal cancer. And it's something that speech pathologists, which both of us are speech pathologists, Mm -hmm. work with um, pretty routinely. And yet uh, my career was focused on small children, and they generally don't get laryngeal cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I went across the hall to my colleague, Lisa, who specializes in voice and voice disorders, which is very much in the wheelhouse of um, what's impacted with laryngeal cancer, and sat down and and really just went through... um, um, the, the situation that my mom found herself in, and Lisa was an invaluable resource during that time. And out of those conversations evolved a book project, actually, um, talking about the multidisciplinary nature and, and management of laryngeal cancer. There's nothing like that on the market. And so we recruited authors and co-edited a book together. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the content specialist, but the book also is focused in on having supplemental materials for families of and patients mm-hmm. um, who have laryngeal cancer. And so um, really our collaboration on this was born of representing both the professional and the family side mm-hmm. to a disease that, um, you know, has a lot of impacts for patients. Yes. And it's not well covered in voice classes because it's a low incidence disorder. It's a, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a pretty low incidence disorder compared to some of the other um, voice problems. So it usually maybe it has a class period. So giving students at the undergraduate level in particular exposure to laryngeal cancer is is unusual and a good thing for sure. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like there was a, a threshold that had to be met that it's not just about bringing in a guest speaker for a day or two. It, it has It's something that you both had knowledge and experience and interest that you were bringing um, from different angles on the same topic, and, and that's really where the co came in, in co-teaching. How did the students react to that? Because uh, we also talked before we were recording, and it's, co-teaching is still not a very common thing on our campus. Lisa, what, what were the students' reactions like? Were they, were they a little wigged out by having more than one professor, or was it kind of accepted by that point for them? I think they were pretty excited about it, actually, um, because the format of the independent study is much more discussion-based. Now, if, if it was more of a lecture-based uh, experience, I, I, I don't know, maybe the, there would be sort of a different reaction. But we start out right away by talking about our individual story and how we both came to this. So Jen having this personal experience gets students excited from hearing her perspective. And then I talk about my clinical experience, and then they're excited about hearing uh, about laryngeal cancer from that perspective. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because, you know, co-teaching relationships should evolve because each yes. person who is a co-teacher can bring something different to the, the students, to the interactions. And, and truly, by something different, I mean some level of expertise. Mm-hmm. Because it's silly to say, I'm just going to teach this half of the class and you're going to teach this half. It's, no, we have different perspectives to represent. And our students can do better be, as learners and, and, mm-hmm. and really um, understand different perspectives, mm-hmm. um, really from an interesting um, place. I think it's rare in our field that we talk about 
in depth mm-hmm. the the patient and family experience. We talk about the disorder yep. and how to treat it. And so I think it was just something that was a different narrative for the students. They had um, a story they could pin a lot of this onto. Yep. And, and as we went through the book with the students, they'd say, oh, hey, Dr. Freeberg, what, what was your mom's experience with this? And and then I could say, yeah. And then, you know, in terms of her experience, she, she had this. Um, and my dad and my sister and I had this and and they're able to really get a multi-dimensional view of a disorder yeah. um, in a way that they hadn't really had with yeah. some of the others. And I think that's one of the things about co-teaching that's very valuable. Just you're giving students multiple perspectives that they wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to actually implementing this independent study, this course, um, you had a syllabus, I presume. Mm-hmm. Ish. Yeah. So, so how, well, how, well, you say yes. So, how did that work out? I mean, did were you was it co-authored? Was it? Yeah. Or oh. did you just have bits and pieces? How? What was the process for that? Uh, we sat down in one of our offices and we hashed out okay, which chapters in the book are really important to cover and why, and which one of us is the true expert in that mm-hmm. that area. And and so we each took the lead mm-hmm. um, with half of the classes, but we were we consulted with one another about how we'd set up the the actual meetings with the students and the interactions and mm-hmm. the. the the things that they do um, when we were all together. Mm-hmm. And we decided to take um, a per- particular uh, pedagogical yes. approach with the students. Yeah. We um, we do a lot of case studies. We're mm-hmm. a clinical field. Um, but we really wanted the students to do some perspective taking. So most of our uh, exchanges with the students, we'd meet for about an hour mm-hmm. once a week. Uh, and we'd sit down around a table and the students would take on different roles that were important to the topic of the week. One student might be a physician, one might be the patient, one might be a speech pathologist, one is somebody else. And so we'd put a case on the table and they'd have to react from different perspectives. And then we'd change those up throughout the hour that we were together so that they could really see what was happening with and around that patient from a multitude of different perspectives. And I think um, that was really uh, eye-opening for the students, first of all, that that they might say something different depending on what role they were playing oh, yeah. uh, and how they might really um, see a different viewpoint that otherwise they wouldn't have noted mm-hmm. um, that then fleshed out their understanding of the concept a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And we could watch, you know, it was sort of our role to facilitate that. Yep. And mm-hmm. and we very much shared the same vision when we were designing this, mm-hmm. um, that we were facilitating and we were going to sit back and let things unfold and then push pause on the discussion if we needed to, to say, hey, you just said something that was really interesting. Let's dive into that a little bit more before we mm-hmm. get back to the case. Mm-hmm. And we could add more content or answer questions um, from the readings or, or refer back to other resources that they might look into, that sort of thing. So th- this is a great example to get to give folks kind of an, an idea uh, of this because it was an independent study so did you have a regular meeting time we did you did yeah okay. we met uh once a week for uh-huh. a, a, at least half of the semester right so cool yeah so it was it was kind of like a small um a small class yeah like mm-hmm. a like an eight week or a seminar class yeah. or something like that <laughs> exactly. and, and were they undergraduates or graduate students? undergraduates undergraduate mm-hmm. students cool and the prerequisite was that they had to have taken lisa's voice disorders class or they mm-hmm. were in it currently right. right so that they had some of the basic anatomy and physiology type knowledge mm-hmm. that we didn't feel we needed or had the time i guess i should say to mm-hmm. teach as part of this particular experience mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. yeah so as far as the actual procedure, I mean, were you both in class all the time or did you sometimes you came in and depending on who was leading? Yeah, we uh, we 
kind of had a content specialist for each uh, class. So we started out the semester with both of us there, Mm -hmm. um, telling our stories and talking about the impetus for the independent study and the book. And then um, we kind of split off from there where we we each took a a day um, or different days from then on. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn from the initial uh, experiment in this? co-teaching that you've applied since then? What what surprised you along the way? Anything? I think um, what we tried to do together, Lisa and I, is something uh, that is difficult for our students to comprehend. We tried to make it okay for them to take risks and, and take chances. And these are students who are high achievers. They have to have a certain grade point average to get into graduate school. Mm-hmm. And they sort of have enculturated this idea that um, if they take chances, they could be wrong and that would uh, reflect poorly on them. Mm-hmm. And so in the context of, of this, we'd say, okay, you know, just say something. You know, it's okay. There's there's Their grades were not based on being accurate in what they said. Mm-hmm. It was showing us that they were thinking critically about something. And so... We just, um, I was surprised by how willing the students were to go along with that. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take long for them to be very interactively asking questions, making comments, challenging each other, um, which made it a really dynamic experience for me at least. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't expect that. Yeah, it was, I guess it showed me that you don't need to always be the master of the classroom. We really let the students kind of direct the the material, the content, the discussion. Um, and that made it a richer sort of experience for everybody. Well, that's interesting because you are kind of breaking up the traditional ideological structure of a traditional class because there is already more than one power holder mm-hmm. in that room. So that, that power is shared and they're seeing that sharing going on if it's being modeled well. So that's very interesting. I haven't. I didn't even think of it from that perspective. That the students then would would you kind of break up. You know, this. You I mean you were still in control, obviously, and I'm sure there was still that ideological deference to you. Mm-hmm. So uh, when it comes to when it came to doing assessments in the course and whatnot, how how did you handle the grading? Did one person wash and one person dried and put away, or how did that <laughs> how did that work? So the. The um, the grades for the course were based on reflective papers that the students wrote weekly. They had a standard set of questions that they were asked to respond to. Um, things like, uh, what, what are you still confused about this topic? What did you learn today that you'll take with you to other classes or to your professional mm-hmm. life? Um, what is in conflict with your perspective mm-hmm. or worldview? Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about life and death kinds of situations and choices people would make under those conditions. And so they'd, they'd answer these five questions and they'd email them to Lisa or to me, depending on who facilitated the the class for that day. Mm -hmm. But then we'd read through those reflections and we'd respond back to the students, kind of creating a dialogue, um, very long comments to answer some of their questions or Mm -hmm. respond back to um, some of the things that they said that were provocative or truly um, it was obvious that they um, really felt passionately about. We could respond to that. And sometimes I'd shoot a copy of my comments mm-hmm. over to Lisa and say, I think you need to add on to this. You're the mm-hmm. content and specialist vice and vice versa. And yeah. so um, our grades were based on the quality of um, those reflections mm-hmm. in terms of showing careful thought, um, very clearly um, being present, present. In, yeah. in thinking about the topic and and um, reflecting carefully on their own learning. Yeah. And and also on their participation during the actual mm-hmm. periods or class periods. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Reflecting on, on your experiences co-teaching, 
with a mind towards giving advice to someone who may want to mm-hmm. collaborate with a colleague and, and do this themselves in their own discipline. What are some of the potholes in the road that they can avoid? What 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 are some of the uh, of the things that you experienced that um, you wish you would have known the first time you did it? I think that um, Lisa and I started out as co-teachers having already a relationship as professional colleagues who had done project work together. Okay. And so I think our experience might be a little different than people who start their professional relationship together co-teaching. So we already had sort of negotiated a way of communicating mm-hmm. and we knew how to, you know, complement each other and to add on value mm-hmm. um, to what the other could offer. And so I was in a very uh, comfortable position with Lisa. I knew mm-hmm. I could say, hey, I don't like that idea at all and, yeah. and be very comfortable hearing that from her in return. So I think that that leads, I guess, to the the first thing that I think is just critically important in co-teaching is is having a really well-established way of communicating mm-hmm. that can be open and honest because it's not an error or it's not even all that curious that the research on co-teaching is about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's not about oh, the student it. learning. Mm-hmm. It's about how do you negotiate um, power struggles? How do you communicate uh, and collaborate in a way that balances, mm-hmm. how do you problem solve? And I can imagine sometimes that those issues come up because of the actions of the students. Lisa, did you ever have an experience where they didn't like the answer from mom, so they came to other mom uh, or anything like that? I'm, I'm thinking back to my own upbringing, yeah. you know, so. That's a great question. I feel like I've had that situation in some other um, co-teaching relationships I've had, but not mm-hmm. in this one, because it was very clear what each of us brought to the table. So if somebody wanted to ask me about something related to laryngeal anatomy, it, it might make sense to ask me. And mm-hmm. if they wanted to ask about, like, practice patterns that Jen had experienced with her mom, they would go to Jen. So mm-hmm. I just think it, it was it was just the vision was very clear from the beginning. And that helped with the communication, the clarity for the students, too. Cool. And it was a shorter class. So I presume you didn't have as much of the the procedural questions like that. You didn't have a lot of, hey, I can't be here next week. Can I still get credit or. Yeah. And I, you have a that's, that's a bad that, that's a bad example. But, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. Like, sure. what did I miss? Right. You know, my right. favorite question of all time. <laughs> Did I miss anything? <laughs> Did I miss anything? Right. Yes. Did I miss anything? anything no, at all. I stood here for three hours. Yeah. yeah. We actually had a few students not be able to be physically in our sessions who didn't want to miss and they'd Skype in. That's yeah. the first time I've ever had that happen. They said, mm-hmm. could we call in? We're going to a wedding, a funeral. There's something we can't be on campus for, but I will block out an hour if I can Skype in. That that is an episode in and of itself. I think. <laughs> that could be. How do you handle that sort of thing? Yeah. I think that's I think it's interesting. Yeah. Looking forward, what other things do you think that people who potentially want to be co-instructors should look for? Is there anything in terms of, so it sounds like expertise really plays a role. Is there anything else, though, in terms of a curriculum or something like that that you you could imagine would call for co-teaching? I think it. Exactly what you just said. I think the curriculum has to call for co-teaching, for okay. co-teaching to, yeah. to make sense. Yeah. Okay. It shouldn't just be done because it's it's easier for somebody or or cool or kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of a cool idea. Right. I think if you can't justify that each person in a co-teaching relationship brings something valuable to the experience, then you're doing something for nothing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely don't do it unless there's a reason to. Mm -hmm. There's a risk to losing your students in the process. Because if you you just bring folks in to co-teach for the sake of co-teaching, you're injecting 
issues with two people grading, Mm -hmm. two people lecturing, having two different kinds of course experiences, Mm -hmm. the students have to perceive that there's value to those inconveniences to them for them to support the co-teaching relationship and and to to be willing to be flexible as students within that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I guess you also have to make an argument to your chair or director of your department to say, "Hey, this is important for us to be paid to do this." Uh, because I mean, I mean, is there not a perception that it's it's two people in, in it's the, costing twice as much to deliver this course? And it's kind of a crass view, but in the realm of independent studies, it's not as much of a right. a, of a thing because that's extra anyway. That's, that's extra anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's certainly in other um, courses that are part of our department that are co-taught, there certainly are those struggles. You know, how much credit does this person get versus this person? Mm-hmm. Um, how much of their percentage of their teaching load um, is a co-taught class? And, and that's a... a real issue and barrier to co-teaching at the university level, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, you had acknowledged, had acknowledged uh, Jim, that we don't do a lot of co-teaching on our campus yet. But I do think if you look at some of the clinical professions, um, dietetics and nursing and speech path and audiology and social work, and I could keep listing them. Mm-hmm. If you look at uh, their accreditation standards, most, most of them now include some requirement for interprofessional education, okay. recognizing that these are professionals who are going to have to collaborate with other people down the road. And so um, in order to infuse those experiences into our college classrooms, I think we're going to find that we'll see more co-teaching on our campus. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations will have to emerge about, okay, which department is this class offered by? Uh And how does that college or how does that FTE factor in Mm -hmm. for folks coming in from outside? So it. If they truly want to have interprofessional education, it can't be guest speaking. It's got to be, you know, a collaborative experience with a lot of investment by both um, instructors or all the instructors who are involved. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you two had a great relationship. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you coming in and, and talking about this today. And we should also mention very briefly that you're going to be facilitating a workshop probably the week that this episode airs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be too late for people who hear it now. But if the workshop is a success, we, we are always happy to invite you back uh, and whatnot. <laughs> If you're uh, so you've had a great relationship, if you're contemplating doing this with someone else, what would you how would you approach that? How would you begin the process? What would you look out for? I think it's really important that, like Jen said, you start by having some experience working together before you just initiate co teaching because, um, it is a can of worms that you you can open up um, if you just sort of start and you learn all these things about how that other person works. But if you're not aware of that from the beginning, then um, you can't really account for it. You don't know if you are actually going to be able to to create a good team. I think that's a good philosophy or a good statement to, to work from because I think um, – If you're involved in a research project with someone and your relationship is not fantastic, you can still work your way through the project Mm -hmm. because you want that end result to share with your peers Mm -hmm. and and to, to, you know, finalize that project. But if you have a bad co-teaching experience, then your students can be impacted. Oh, yeah. And they can be impacted negatively. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're here to do the business of educating our Mm -hmm. students. And and, and certainly we want to do that well. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is important is just that you sort of have the same kind of philosophy or vision for teaching in general and the course. So I think that Jen and I both have very similar sort of, we're very student-centered. You know, we will make adjustments based on feedback that we get from students, but not everybody is going to be like that. And so having a really honest conversation 
with the person you're considering co-teaching with, that's important because if you don't value the same things, then your students are going to, they're going to know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think planning co-teaching is almost like a negotiation. Mm-hmm. And and you, you work through the process of, of, okay, what could this look like if we decide to do it? Mm-hmm. What are your priorities? How would you deliver this content? How how would you have the students, um, you know, assessed as part of the process? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, if you, through that negotiation, find out that, gosh, Lisa, you want to lecture all the time and mm-hmm. I want to do interactive case studies all the time. May, that may or may not be the mm-hmm. best marriage, but it might be mm-hmm. if we could figure out a way um, through some good conversation and negotiation to, to make that a cohesive experience for the students. And the one other thing I'll say is just as somebody who's more much more junior than Jen, like I had some nerves. I had I had nerves about, you know, being in the same classroom as her and feeling like, oh my goodness, am I going to be able to be as good at this as her? Um, so there's these power differential. But but I have this open relationship with Jen, and I have a friendship with Jen. So it's it's a. Uh, those feelings go away and then you realize, oh, I can learn. I can learn from her. I have all these pedagogies that I now can take with me into other classroom environments. And it's funny you say that because there's a different power differential too because you're the content expert. (laughs) We're sitting here in front of these students and they're asking questions and I'm deferring to you because I just don't know the answers. I, I am not a specialist in voice or laryngeal cancer and Thank God, because it's not, <laughs> you know, had I not had the experience with my mom, I never would have been. And, and so, you know, it's, it, it's uh, been a really uh, good give and take between that because it wasn't that there was one power differential. We yeah. shared that, yeah. you know, yeah. and so there was a balance in, okay, you're expert here, I'm expert here. And so mm-hmm. we can work with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're both rock stars just listening to you. So <laughs> thanks, Jim. <laughs> Lisa, Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. You can find out more about our pokey little podcast. Go to our website, ctlt.illinoisstate.edu. For Dr. Lisa Finney, for Dr. Jennifer Freeberg, for all my colleagues here at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, until we talk again, happy teaching. Happy teaching.